0: In your corner, and we are back. 1 855 821 5900. Help at inyourcorner.ca. Reminders, well, global TV show in your corner Sundays. At 8.30, if you've not caught it, do so. Uh, possibly this coming weekend or next weekend, whenever you can, be there for us and we will be there for you. Indeed, talking about injury law and disability law, that's what we do in the show. We, uh, we'll get to a top three list as we like to every week. In fact, top three myths we hear from people about LTD claims. That is on the way shortly. First, pal, Savan, James, welcome, guys. Uh week that was, what do you got?
1: Hey, John, let me tell you about a lady who called me this week with an interesting issue uh, with respect to her long-term disability claim. She's 48 years old, and she suffers from severe depression because of the loss of her sister in a car accident. Now, she worked as an account executive at a large company, and she was making about $85,000 a year. Her insurance company, the LTD insurer, arranged for her to see a therapist for treatments. That therapist saw her for, uh, for several times um, and uh, wrote a report that essentially said that her condition had improved to the point that he believed that she could go back to work. Okay. Now, that is not, in fact, the case. But the insurance company who was, uh, who had received that report then subsequently said, we're cutting you off because of that report. Remember, she was referred to that therapist. She was told to go see him by the insurance company that later on cut her, ra- uh, uh, cut her off. Now, this happened a few months ago, about three and a half months ago. Her family doctor did not agree with that therapist, and he referred her to another psychologist who had been then treating her since that time for the last few months. The psychologist that her family doctor sent her to provided a report saying, no, no. she's absolutely unable to go back to work. So that, coin, you know, that corresponded with the family doctor's opinion. She submitted the family doctor's report and the new psychologist's report, both of them as part of an appeal to her insurance company. What do you think happened with that appeal, John? John?
0: I'm going to guess it got denied. It got I'm denied to guess.
1: It got denied last week, which is uh, when she contacted me. Now, let's break this down, the three mistakes that she had made here. Number one, she went to see the therapist that the insurance company told her to go see, as opposed to finding one on her own, or just simply speaking with her doctor and asking her doctor, where uh, should I go? Which right. therapist should I see? Second mistake she made is she appealed a cutoff. This is something James and I talk about on the show all the time. If you are on long-term disability or if you were denied long-term disability and you've been cut off, uh, so cut off or denied, do not appeal these decisions, okay? Appealing those decisions will lead you nowhere, right? When you appeal these decisions, the power over your claim remains with the insurance company. You have no power. You have no leverage with the insurance company. So that was the second mistake. The third mistake is that she didn't call us when she was first told by the insurance company they're going to cut her off. Because look, if you are on LTD and the insurance company is going to cut you off, in the vast majority of cases, certainly every case I have seen, you are given a heads up. You're told by your insurer, by the adjuster, that you will be cut off. It's not as though one day you wake up and suddenly the payments stop. It does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But generally, you know in advance. You're told, we think that you can go back to work. We think you're no longer disabled as per the policy. We're going to cut you off in a month, in five months, in eight months, whatever it is. She should have contacted us right there and then. We could have told her what to do. And frankly, her claim, the same claim we're going to start right now to force the insurance company to pay her what she's owed, would have already been on its way as opposed to us just starting it now.
2: The, there's a fourth mistake that she made. Go ahead. The fourth mistake is believing that the process was fair. Right. Believing uh-huh. that the insurance company would be able to see both sides and make a fair judgment on her case. As we know, if you listen to our show every week, you know what our position is on this. The insurance company is there to make a profit, and that's fine. That's what their business is. They have to make a profit for their shareholders. But you have to understand that that is their objective. And the only way they make a profit is by cutting off benefits as soon as they can. So they will look for any justification they can find to cut off your benefits. And once they have it, they will use that and they will hold on for dear life till the very end. So once they have that report from the psychologist that they sent you to, they're going to use that to cut you off. And it does not matter if you come back at them with your own psychologist. It doesn't matter if you come back with the guy that wrote the leading textbook on whatever it is that you're suffering from who says, no, no, this person cannot go to work. It doesn't matter. They have their opinion. They're going to rely on it until you bring a legal claim. There is no way you're going to move them off that position.
0: Do you have to go see their
2: psychologist? No.
0: Their to- oh, you don't?
2: No, no. Okay. I, listen, it's one thing if they want to have you assessed. Okay. Let's talk about the distinction between treatment okay. and assessment. If they want to have you assessed, they can choose whoever they want to do their assessment. They're entitled to do that. You may not like them, and there may be reasons you can argue that they're biased, right. but they're entitled to get an opinion from whoever they would like. That's fine. But for treatment, that's a whole other story. Treatment involves your health. And you have the final say over that. Now, if there is treatment that you require, you have to get that treatment. And so they can certainly insist that you need to get this kind of treatment or that kind of treatment. But who you get the treatment from is a whole other story. They can suggest, oh, you should go get your treatment from this person. But that doesn't mean that you have to. As long as you are getting the appropriate treatment, then you are following what is required under the policy. Now, having said that, as a practical matter... It is quite possible that if they say, "Oh no, you have to see this person and you refuse to, it's entirely possible that they will cut you off because of that. but on the other hand, if you do go see the person that they're you know that they're requiring you to go see in this case then it's gonna be exactly like what happened in this email. Sure, you follow along with what they're saying and maybe you get your payments for a little bit longer, but, but all you're doing yeah. is you're giving them you know a report that they're gonna use against you in the not too distant future, and you're helping them build their evidence against you. So my advice would always be find someone that you can trust, that your doctor recommends, that you have faith in to give you that treatment.
0: Good start, guys. We'll take a a short pause so you get right back to it. I know, Savannah, you got more to talk about. We'll get to our top three list in just a bit. 1-855-821-5900, the number to reach out. Email, by the way, help at inyourcorner.ca. We'll get to some of those in just a bit as well. This is In Your Corner, right here, Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900, that is the number to reach out to James or Savannah, member of their team. you want to email it as help at inyourcorner.ca. The TV show In Your Corner happens, global TV show on Sunday mornings at 8.30. Back to the uh, other week
1: that was. uh, Samel, what else you got? So I have something a bit interesting, uh, somewhat different than what we usually talk about. Uh, We had noticed that someone, uh, I guess a dissatisfied potential customer, uh, left a review for another disability lawyer, not us. Okay, not our firm. But I want to read that to you because I think it's quite interesting. And frankly, raises an issue that we should discuss. We've discussed it before, uh, it's an LTD uh, potential uh, issue. Okay. So here's what the person wrote. I called them regarding a disability claim. I spoke with, and then he mentions the name of the lawyer. It went something like this. Me. Hi, I'd like to discuss with you about my disability claim. Lawyer. Is the company unionized? Me. Yes. Him. Bye. Hangs up the phone. Rude and unprofessional is how I would describe him. He doesn't care about you, just about how much money he can squeeze from you. I'd give him a different rating, but there is no rating less than zero. End review. Bye. So, I mean, leaving aside the unprofessional nature of this exchange, if in fact this is what happened with this lawyer, this should never happen uh, in terms of how this went about. You know, remember, individuals who are calling about their long term disability claims, they usually are suffering from an illness, an injury, something that is disabling them, and they want legal advice. They need help dealing with their insurance company. The issue I want to focus on here is uh, the idea of a unionized employee, a unionized individual who uh, uh, gets cut off or denied long term disability. And, you know, John, as you know, as we all know from Lior's show, The Employment Hour, Uh, If a person is unionized in the employment context, we can't help them with the employment situation. Only their union can. In the LTD context, okay, in disability issues, we can generally help them. And what we basically do is we look at the collective agreement. And if the collective agreement doesn't speak in detail, shall we say, about their long-term disability plan... Uh, then generally we can actually help them with their disability claim. If the collective agreement spells out all the details of the LTD Mm -hmm. uh, case, if if it's understood that it's really part of that relationship that the union has with the employer, that they've spelled it out in the collective agreement exactly what the LTD plan is and the test and everything else, how much the person would be getting, in those instances, we may not be able to help but i 'll tell you john we've we 've helped teachers we 've helped people who are you know in in, in the manufacturing industry yep. a lot of individuals who are unionized who've been cut off or denied long term disability who have gone to their own unions who by the way have no expertise dealing with ltd issues and we 've been able to help them so i don 't know what happened with this lawyer here clearly that clearly that lawyer did not do the investigation he should have done because the analysis simply does not end with person saying that they are unionized. If you are a unionized employee, or frankly, if you are part of the actual union structure, you know, you're one of the union organizers or someone in the union and you have people coming to you and they have LTD issues, you can direct them to us. We should be able to help them.
2: Even for people who are in a union and have a collective bargaining agreement that if it were challenged, the court would probably say we can't get involved even in some of those cases we've reached out to the employer and we've said well listen you know this is what your this is your collective bargaining agreement will you allow us to bring a claim will you allow us you know the jurisdiction to bring the claim and not challenge that it has to be under this CBA and sometimes they say no and then they're entitled to do that in certain cases and sometimes they say you know what that's fine bring it mm-hmm. through the court system it'll be quicker and easier that way wow. for us to deal with and so even in the cases where you might think we can't help, even in some of those, we can. one
0: 821 5900 is the number to reach out. Help at inyourcorner.ca. What else you got going on, pal?
1: Uh, that's it, Jonathan. All right. We can go to uh, the next point.
0: You bet. And that would be the uh, top three myths we hear uh, from people about long-term disability claims. We get to number one. If you hire a lawyer, your insurer will get angry and not pay you.
2: Nonsense. <laughs> now, well, actually, th- it, that sentence is almost exactly right. If you leave out the not- if you hire a lawyer, your insurer will get angry and pay you. Right.
1: Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, you're right. Um, exactly. The, Go ahead.
2: the it, it won't necessarily please the insurance company that you've hired representation and they no longer control the process. They may well get angry. And my response to that is, so? So. Okay. Good. I, I'm not terribly concerned if the insurance company is angry or not, and nor should you be. All you should be concerned about is enforcing your rights under the policy and recovering the benefits that you are entitled to. If you're not doing that, then you're just giving the insurance company your money. And if they're angry, angry about that, who cares?
1: I don't, and you shouldn't either. Simple as that. John, I had situations when I was doing defense work for insurance companies where uh, we would be contacted, not we, but the insurance company would be contacted by an individual that's not represented by, by a lawyer. And then uh, the adjuster would let me handle the, you know, the issue of the case with the individual directly. And I'll tell you, my advice was always the same. We need to resolve this directly with the individual. They don't have expertise in this area. Yeah. If they get a lawyer, this is going to get a lot more expensive. So the message here is this. If you don't have expertise or knowledge or any kind of experience dealing with insurance companies and you don't have a lawyer that has a particular expertise in your issue like, for example, LTD, then you are at a disadvantage. You are dealing with professionals on the other side. Their job is to pay you as little as possible, Mm. if anything. So they will not get angry. That's the point. We never got angry. Insurance companies don't get angry. Yeah, this isn't our first rodeo. They're now. not. Yeah. They are, they are billion-dollar entities. Yeah. All they care about is money. They don't care about getting angry. They care about paying you as little as possible. As soon as there is a lawyer who knows what they're doing on the other side, they understand that they're going to have to pay more than they would otherwise have to if you didn't have a lawyer.
2: The truth is, if, you know, for them to get angry, that would require them to care enough to do that first. <sighs> I'm not joking. It would. It would. And, you know, I'm not even really saying that as a slight against insurance companies. They're a business. And each claim is a file that they have to run and they have their policies and procedures. And they're not getting angry or upset over any one of the files. And even a file where, you know, you bring a claim and let's say you maxed out the policy and you earned a million, you got a million dollar payout on it. It's not really going to change the bottom line very much even then i don 't think they 're getting too angry about it.
1: I actually think people out there get a lot more angry about how unfairly they 're being treated by their insurance companies than insurance companies than they think insurance companies actually get angry at them and and you know it 's funny when we actually end up resolving a case, you know a person comes to me and they 're offered zero they 're told by the insurance company we 're going to pay you zero, nothing and then, after a year, we end up coming out with a settlement for four hundred thousand dollars. You know, the person I'm representing is elated. They're happy that Mm -hmm. it's finally over. They're going to get money, the money that they're owed. And they're not angry. And frankly, I actually think they should be angry. But the fact that they had to go through all of this, the insurance companies put them through this, you know, because there are no repercussions for insurance companies. Insurance companies are going to do this over and over and over to other people. And that's what they do because they bank on people walking away from money that's owed to them.
0: Top three myths we hear from people about long-term disability claims. Number two and number one are coming up here. We'll take a short break. 1-855-821-5900 and help at inyourcorner.ca to reach out through email as well. Lots more coming up. Stand by. We'll be right back with more of In Your Corner on Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900, help at inyourcorner.ca. The top three myths we hear from people about long-term disability. Number 2 insurance companies have unlimited resources and because of that they will never pay you once they deny your claim.
1: So that is a myth. You know, people yeah. out there think that because insurance companies have billions of dollars, they will hire 100 lawyers to beat you into the ground if you challenge them. It's that's far from the truth. The fact that they have all this money doesn't mean they want to waste any of it right. in fighting you. In fact, one of, one of the the, you know, interesting things about this whole process that people are not aware of that we talk about here on the show is that once you challenge an insurance company, and I'm not talking about doing an appeal because then they're not really wasting any more money. Once you start a legal claim, once we start a legal claim, they are then forced to legally defend it. What does that mean? It means that they then have to hire a lawyer. So remember all those billions of dollars that they have in their coffers, they don't want to spend $100,000 or 200,000 or 300 paying a lawyer to fight a claim that they know that eventually they will lose if it went all the way before a judge. They don't want to do that. So the fact that they have billions of dollars, don't assume that they simply are going to use that, that arsenal of money against you to defeat you. They're not. They are bleeding money as soon as you start a legal claim. How are they bleeding money? Because they're paying legal costs. So because of that, they're going to want to come to the table. They're going to want to try and resolve the case with you. I mean, that's assuming that your case obviously has merit. Mm-hmm. If it does, trust me, they will know it. They will recognize it. Their own lawyers will tell them that they should be paying out. Otherwise, they're going to end up paying a lot more in legal fees plus the value of the claim. The televised version
0: of In Your Corner happens Sunday mornings, by the way, at 8.30 on uh, on Global TV. The uh, the top myth, number one here in the top three myths we hear from people about LTD claims It will cost you money up front to fight the insurance company, and
2: you can't afford to do that. Well, I guess it really depends on the lawyer that you're talking about, but certainly anyone coming to our firm pays nothing up front. They pay nothing as the case goes along. If we are retained, if you decide to retain our firm and we decide to take on the retainer, you do not pay us any money out of your pocket ever. That's just not the way that it works. We will fund whatever it costs to to bring the claim, and it will never be out of pocket. When we get paid, it will only be once your insurance company pays money for the claim and you are paid. We don't get paid until you are. Simple as that.
1: No, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. But the thing is that we've seen people have contacted us who have been charged thousands of dollars by, by other lawyers for an appeal. Yeah. Stuff that we say that you should never do. Uh, but even if it's not an appeal, even if it's a legal claim, you know, some lawyers have this idea in their heads that... You know They want you to have skin in the game, yeah. as, as they say it. They want you to pay something, to put some kind of a down payment. But you have skin in the game. You haven't been paid. It's money that's owed to you. Right. You know If you've decided to pursue that claim based on our advice, the skin in the game that you have is that you are owed this money, and it could be a lot of money. Yeah. So I don't understand that logic, but some lawyers do do that. And, and frankly, some lawyers advertise that they don't get paid until you win. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll proceed to to say, but there is a slight exception in your particular case. And I'll explain to you why. And then they'll ask you to put down a thousand bucks or 2000. I've seen that as well. It's like a little be bait and careful. switch action going there. You do see that. You have nice. to be very careful and do your homework on who you hire.
0: Uh, email from Bill here again, help at inyourcorner.ca. Bill says, I was denied LTD over a year ago. I missed the deadline for appealing that decision. And I know that you guys say that appeals are useless, but I'm just wondering if the fact that I didn't follow their procedure and didn't appeal means that I can't do anything now. I still can't work, and my doctor says that he doesn't know when I'll
1: be able to return to the workforce, and I'm 52 years old. Uh, No, Bill, uh, there's absolutely uh, nothing that's preventing you from starting a legal claim now. Uh, remember, that deadline for appealing is, is an arbitrary deadline. We, you know We see 30 days all the time being thrown around. I'll tell you this, as long as you are willing to uh, appeal that decision, they're not going to care if you've done it after 35 days, after 40 days, it doesn't matter. Now, there is one deadline you should be very mindful of, and that's that two-year limitation period for starting legal claims. Right. Again, we've talked about this extensively here. You do not want to miss that deadline. That clock starts running from the, date, uh, from, from the date of first denial. So if you, let's say, were denied on January 1st, 2019, and then you went through three levels of appeals, the last one, you know, you got a denial, the last, the last appeal you got denied, December 31st, 2019, it's not two years from December 31st, 2019. It's two years from January 1st, from the first denial. Right. So it doesn't matter, Bill. We can help you right now. So long as you're within that two-year limitation period, we can help you. That said, you don't want to run the clock. And this is another thing we've seen lawyers do, other lawyers. We've seen them sort of sit on the file, right? You'll get, they'll retain, you'll retain them. uh, And they don't do anything on the claim or they'll correspond with the insurance company. And suddenly three months pass by, six months, a year, a year and a half. Meanwhile, you have no money coming in. The bills are, are piling high, mortgage bills, etc. You don't want to do that. It's extremely important to start these claims as soon as possible. The sooner we start them, the sooner we can get you paid.
0: Well, I'll roll on to Megan's email after a short break here. you want to send one along. Would love that. Help at inyourcorner.ca. Uh, the number as well, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. The number anytime, 1-855-821-5900, help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. Megan, as promised, you're up next, says, I was off on long-term disability, guys, for back injury and chronic pain, and then when I tried to go back to work with my doctor's help, I wasn't able to continue. After three days, I was in tremendous pain, and even my manager told me to go home because it was so obvious that I couldn't work. My doctor said that I should go back on disability, but when I contacted my insurance company, they refused to resume my payments. They say that uh, they think that I can work part-time, but that's just not true. I'm 45
2: years old, and I work in a dentist's office. Well, listen, I mean, the thing to do here is very simply we have to bring a claim. If you're not able to work and you've tried and you can't do it, very simply you have to bring a claim. You have to listen to your doctor's advice. That's number one. Your health is always your first priority. So if your doctor is saying you can't work, if even your manager is saying that you can't work, you can't work, it doesn't matter what the insurance company is saying, what the adjuster is saying, that is your priority. And so if they are cutting off your benefits, if they're not approving your claim, you start a legal claim, you take the power out of the insurance company's hands. You know, this goes back to this top three list that we were talking about before. And one of them was that, you know, because the insurance companies have unlimited resources, people are afraid that they'll just fight them forever on it. It's not the case. Now, for our listeners who don't know, John is actually really big on pop culture. So I got a trivia question for you that relates to this. Unprepared. A Christmas story. Remember that? Okay, Ralphie, yeah. Well, Ralphie was the main character, but who was the bully? Do you remember? Uh, Scott Farkas. Scott Farkas. Very good. Very good. Scott Farkas. And do you remember what happened? Scott Farkas would bully Ralphie every single day. But the moment Ralphie stood up to him- Cry,
0: baby, cry. He cried
2: and ran home. Yeah, until- (laughs) It's the same thing here. The insurance companies will bully you when they have the power, but as soon as you stand up to them, it's a completely different story. They are Scott Farkas.
1: You know, John, another thing to to, um, keep in mind here with Megan's story, uh, with her email- and this is something, again, that we see quite, quite often. People do try to go back to work. They're not interested in just sitting on the couch yep. collecting a paycheck. Now, this is important because it goes to her credibility. You know, Whenever we're starting a legal claim, we're trying to gauge our client's credibility. If this ever went before a judge, again, most of these cases never, ever get to court. But if this ever went before a judge, would our client come across as credible? Uh, And that's a very, very important question. And it's something the insurance company and their lawyers are going to be assessing as well throughout the life of a legal claim. And in this case, Megan tried to go back to work and she wasn't successful. And her own employer backs her up and her doctor backs her up. I mean, I honestly see this without even going through the documentation as a slam dunk against the insurance company. And I think that if she ends up starting that claim, which we would advise her to do, I think the insurance company would come to the table very, very quickly to try and resolve the case.
2: Yeah, it's funny. When I go to mediations, you know, there are sometimes where you can see the insurers really, you know, they they, they really have all their ammunition there and they're ready to fight even then, they still pay out, but then there are other ones, and this is a good example of one that would play out the way I'm about to say, where they come and they say, yeah, you know, we looked at the file and we understand what's happened because the people that you see at mediation, the people who are on the file for the insurance company the moment you bring a claim are not the same people that you are dealing with while you are trying to get your benefits to keep going. It's not the adjuster who's calling and harassing you every week. They're not involved anymore. It mm. goes to a completely different department, and the people there look at it with fresh eyes, and they understand what, it ha- what happens as soon as the legal claim is brought. They understand that they don't have the power to control your destiny anymore. And so when they come to the mediation, when they're looking at settling, they, they look at it realistically because they know that if it were to ever go to court, they would be in a terrible position when they do things like this, when they try and pretend that someone can go back to work when they clearly cannot, when their doctor says they
1: can't, when their employer says they can't. They know what the score is, and they're going to pay for it. John, I can tell you that we have a fairly good relationship with many of the adjusters who actually come to mediation, and one of the reasons is because these adjusters, typically, in my experience, are a lot more experienced than the adjusters who are actually managing the day-to-day files. Mm-hmm. And you know, for, for whatever reason, those adjusters at mediation, off the record, quite a few times have told me, I have no idea why the previous adjuster handling the claim did what she or he did. So that gives you an idea about you know, the legitimacy of some of these denials. When you have the insurance company's own people admitting to us off the record that mistakes were made on the file, and they're interested in resolving it. Is it kind of the job of the first, I mean, this
0: is something you could ask Terry Corcoran, but is it it kind of the job of the first level adjuster just to cast a wide net? And then the stuff that filters through, that's when the other adjusters go, you know what, I don't know what this guy was doing, but this is wrong. It seems like
2: that,
1: right? You know, it seems like that, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it seems to be quite
2: clear the job of the first level of adjuster, the claims adjuster, is to... Cut off benefits as yeah. quickly as possible, or deny as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, they have policies and procedures that they have to fo- that they have to follow, but at the end of the day, whether. It's, you know, one for one exactly how they, you know, have run their files or whether it's, you know, a little bit broader. They are judged based on how many files they have gotcha. open for how long they've been open for. Whether it's a direct relationship or you know, smoothed out around the edges, okay, maybe so. Maybe they don't have exact stats. I don't know. But for sure, if there's an adjuster that is approving every claim and isn't doing anything to cut people off, they're not gonna stick around very long.
0: 1-855-821-5900, help at inyourcorner.ca. The email address, we'll get to uh, Ron's email next. Ron is up next. Stick around, pal. We'll get to you on In Your Corner, right here, Global News Radio. one 821 5900 help at inyourcorner.ca. The number to reach out. You want to ask questions when the show is not on as well, mydisabilityquestions.com, drop down menu. There's a good, uh, good possibility that your question has been asked and answered in detail. If not, leave it there, and uh, Savannah and his team will get to it Uh, Pretty quickly, Ron, up next is five years ago I lost my son to opioids and I've been an absolute mess ever since. I've gone to different psychologists and psychiatrists, but everyone wants to give me medications and I refuse to take them because of what happened to my son. I have a psychologist now that is very supportive who says that I can do other forms of therapy without medications. My insurance company denied me LTD uh, because their doctor says that I should be on medications which I don't want to take. Can you help me?
1: Yes, we can. And you know, every case has to be judged on its facts. I'm assuming that the insurance company's denial here is failure to follow prescribed treatments. Uh, That's usually what happens when you're dealing with a person who says, I don't want to take medications or I can't do this kind of therapy, something like that. And, And you know, again, we have to look at the exact provisions of the policy because the policies do differ in terms of their wording. But I can tell you in Ron's case, which is really, really tragic here, you know, losing his son, I mean, I can understand why he's having the psychological issues he's having. And in fact, he has a psychologist. You know, it's not just him himself deciding I'm not taking medications. The psychologist is supporting him and is providing him with other forms of therapy. I think if, again, going back to this idea of what would happen if a judge ever looked at this, I think a judge would be very sympathetic to Ron. Uh, Irrespective of what the policy actually says about treatments, I think in a case like this, I can see how his psychologist, in order to help him, said, "Listen, don't do this, which I think is going to hurt you. Mm. You know, take these drugs, uh, do these other things." I can see how a judge would agree with that, because ultimately, what is what is the overall focus and purpose of those treatments? It's to help the individual, exactly. What is the point of prescribing something that's going to make you worse? And if the insurance company, if their argument essentially is boils down to. Uh, take those drugs, even though your psychologist says they're going to do you, uh, you know, going to make you worse. Well, then, isn't the insurance company then, in a way, sort of complicit in you not getting better? Do you know what I mean? Shooting it himself makes in the foot, really. yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yeah. So that's my take on it. I think he would have a very strong case here.
2: Oh, I, I don't disagree in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think if a judge if this ever got to court, I think a judge would be absolutely outraged that the insurance company stuck their nose in it and tried to overrule what the treating psychologist was saying. To me, that is completely uncalled for and would open them up to significant punitive damages if that ever got to court. That's offensive to me that they would do that. And think about the different interests involved. Your treating doctor is there to try and improve you in the long term. They want you to get better and stay better for the rest of your life. The insurance company wants you to get back to work. They're more than happy to give you a A Band-Aid if that's going to get you back on the floor. But that's not necessarily going to help you, and in fact, it may well make you worse. And the opinion of a doctor hired by the insurance company that probably has never even met you, I don't know, it's not clear in Ron's email whether the insurance doctor gave this opinion based on just a review of the medical file, or if the doctor actually met with him. Mm -hmm. But even if the doctor met with Ron in person and made this assessment, I don't care because that's not the treating doctor. The treating psychologist, the one that's been with him for however long his treatment has lasted is a person whose advice I would rely on and I'm pretty sure the court would rely on too and it's certainly who Ron should be relying on. So don't take your medical advice from an insurance company or even an insurance doctor. Listen to your own treatment providers. They are the only ones who are looking out for your long-term care, and that is by far the most important thing. Sergio,
0: up next, again, help at inyourcorner.ca to reach out with your email. Uh, Sergio says, I've been trying new medications for my sciatica last year, and my chronic pain doctor said that I should have seen some improvement, but I haven't. My long-term disability case manager saw those notes. And uh, when they asked for his updated file and now accuses me of lying about my symptoms, my doctor fully supports me, but my case manager won't listen and said that my benefits will stop on June 25th of this year, so we're getting close. Uh, I'm terrified. I'm 49 years old, and I can't go back to work as a shipping specialist, which is a very physical job.
2: I'm a single parent, and I don't know what to do. Please help. So this is the other side of a coin that we see often when we look at an insurance file. In other situations, we will see where someone has made a claim for benefits and the insurer might approve it initially and they'll say, okay, well, according to the medical guidelines, someone who has sciatica um, should be better within eight weeks or whatever it is. I, I don't know what the answer to that right. is, but there will be an answer there in some book. It doesn't factor in Any of your circumstances, anything else that might be wrong with you, it is just looking at a single issue and saying this single issue in a general case should be better by eight weeks. It doesn't mean it always is. It just means that that is the expectation. Now, that's information. It can help inform your decision, but it cannot be the sole basis of your decision. You need a doctor to actually comment on that to have any clue, and they have to look, they have to look at the entire file to understand what's going on. This is really a similar type of situation. So here you have the person's own doctor saying, "Well, I would have expected to have seen some improvement, but I haven't yet." That doesn't mean he's lying, because even if you expect to see improvement, all that means is. More people than not will improve over this period of time, but it doesn't mean 100% will. And the fact that you're not in the majority of people that improve based on a certain treatment or timeline doesn't mean you're lying, it doesn't mean you're malingering, and a certain percentage simply won't respond to treatment as well as others. You are still entitled to your benefits if you don't respond to treatment as well as the general population. It's as simple as that. So yeah, there's absolutely a claim as long as Sergio's doctor is still
1: supporting that he cannot go to work, then there's certainly a claim there. So I just want to pick up on the last point that James made, which is what I would do in this situation is I would get in touch with the actual doctor and have a discussion and try to understand from the doctor uh, whether or not the doctor believes his Patients. uh, uh, Presumably he does. And so perhaps the doctor could actually explain everything James just did but in medical terminology, right? So that we can uh, present that to the insurance company. And one of the other things that I want to pick up on here is that little phrase, which is so important, I'm terrified. I'm terrified, John. Sergio says that tons and tons of people who contact us tell us they are terrified. They're terrified of two things. They're terrified of the insurance company, of the fact that they're being bullied and harassed and forced to do things they don't want to do. And they're terrified of, of getting nothing, yeah. right? I mean, again, they have bills at home. They have kids, a spouse. They have people they have to take care of. And here, this insurance company that they thought would be by their side, the safety net is not there. They are terrified about what's going to happen. And that's one of the things that we do often other than provide that legal advice. There is a certain comfort that we can provide people by explaining to them the process, answering these questions for free and telling you what to expect. And then once you are armed with this information, I am telling you, John, you feel so much stronger, so much more confident. At least you know you have a roadmap and you can decide intelligently how you want to proceed with the insurance company. A few minutes to go, guys. So we'll take a short break into some more emails
0: and some other stuff. one That's the number anytime you want to reach out when we're not on the air. One reminder as well, uh, Sunday mornings, 830 on Global TV. You'll catch In Your Corner and to send along an email. you still got a bit of time. Help at inyourcorner.ca as well. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is that number Frank up next email says my best buddy from work has been having marital issues at home and recently he got divorced which has made his situation much worse. He's very depressed and takes medications and sees a psychologist which he pays for out of pocket. He applied for short-term disability and was approved, but then he was denied LtD because apparently the insurance company didn't think that he was disabled enough from working. I've never seen my buddy so upset, and I'm afraid this will send him into a tailspin and reverse any improvement he's seen recently. Can you do anything to help
2: him? Absolutely. Absolutely we can. Um, One of the things that I focus on, in fact, probably the one thing I do focus on in my disability practice is mental health claims. I certainly will do physical claims as well too. But mental health claims to me is a focus because for a long time, I think people who have had mental health issues have been well underserved by the legal community, not just by lawyers, but by the courts as well too. It's systemic in the system, and it's something that as a society we're starting to address better, and that the courts are actually addressing more in a more head-on way. And recently there was a decision, I think it was two years ago, there was a case that went to our Supreme Court, the top court in the land, and they said very clearly, if you are suffering from a mental health issue, then you have to be treated the same as someone who has a physical issue. Mm-hmm. The test cannot be harder for one to get benefits than for the other, It has to; they have to be treated the same. That doesn't mean that anybody who says that they're feeling a little bit sad is entitled to benefits. You have to have a disability that prevents you from being able to work. But whether that's physical or whether it's a mental health issue, you are entitled to your benefits. And more to the point, um, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, even if you don't have an expert who's telling you that you have this condition or that, if your mental health situation is sufficient, that you are not leaving the house, that it is affecting your overall life and you're not able to go to work, that would even qualify. Now, having said that, everybody should be getting the proper care and you should be going to see, um, you know, your are starting with your family doctor, but your family doctor, if you have a severe enough condition is likely going to refer you out to a psychiatrist or a psychologist to get treatment down the road. So as long as that's happened, as long as um, you know Frank's pal has the support of a, a treating doctor or psychologist mm-hmm. or counselor who is saying very clearly that he's not able to work, we can certainly help him. And that is always you know our first focus. Do you have the support of your treating doctor or counselors? And if the answer is yes, then there's absolutely something that we can do.
1: And it's very important to understand, uh, John, that you know, as soon as we get involved, we are the ones dealing with the insurance company. And again, that's one of those uh, things that really give a lot of comfort to individuals and their families so they can focus on their own health. I mean, remember what Frank says here is that he's never seen his, his friend so upset. And you know, he's upset probably for two reasons. Number one, that he's been denied. But number two, that he's dealing with these people on the other side who seem to him like they have no heart. Uh, and the reality is that they're doing their job. Right? I mean, it's a sad thing to say, but that's what they're doing, but it's aggravating him. And sometimes those individuals on the other line, sometimes you know, they're not just doing their job in a, in a nice and compassionate way. Sometimes they're doing it in, in, in a bad way, in, in a way that you know, appears to be bullying and in, in a way that appears to be very forceful. And so it's very important to understand that one of the things that we do is we are that wall between you and the insurance company. We push back so that we can give you space to get better.
0: Jim, you're up next. We've got time for Jim. Jim says, I've been on LTD for 16 months, and I recently saw someone from the insurance company who came up with a list of 12 other jobs I could do, but I can't do any of them. I'm 59 years old, and I worked in an assembly plant for most of my adult life. I live in a rural town in Ontario, and I just can't go and relearn a new profession. I have vertigo and vision issues, and my doctors all agree that I can't do uh, any job, but my caseworker with the insurance company just says that I won't get more payments after next February. Done. What can I do? I feel like disability insurance is such
2: a scam. Yikes. Yeah, I understand why you feel that way, Jim. So just so our listeners understand, in almost all disability policies, the first two years you're entitled to benefits as long as you can show that you can't return to your own occupation. Jim's been on benefits for 16 months. So he's coming to the end of that two-year period. It's about eight months away. Mm -hmm. But his insurance company said after he reaches that period, they no longer think he's going to be on benefits because at that point, the test becomes whether you can do any occupation. And this is why they've got this list of 12 other jobs that they think he can do. Just because the insurance company says you can do it doesn't mean that you can. As often as not, in fact, in virtually all cases... The people who make these assessments, they're usually called a transferable skills analysis where they find you all these other jobs. They don't really take any time to consider the medical situation. They rely on what the adjuster has told them. And so it's often the case that the foundation of the report is very easy to attack. So just because they say you can do other jobs doesn't mean that's the case. And common sense will always apply to. You're 59 years old. You know, it's gonna be very difficult for you to be retrained to do pretty much any job. Um, you know, there may be some, depending on your circumstances, that you can do, but for most people, that's gonna be a difficult argument for the insurer.
0: You have uh, some recent good relationships. You've uh, you've worked with WSIB and stuff like that. Tell me a bit about it before we go.
1: Yeah, there's certain consultants that yep. uh, we've partnered up with that can help people who are uh, having issues with workers' compensation uh, CPP disability, if you've been denied that, uh, ODSP. Uh, it, it, you know, even if you're disabled or know someone who's disabled and you're looking for a disability tax credit, uh, we now have consultants. They don't work for our firm, uh, but uh, we've established relationships with them and we can put you in touch with them. So if you're facing any one of these issues, which we don't deal with, we only have certain expertise and that's with LTD claims, right. uh, with employment law, personal injury, Anything to do with workers' compensation, ODSP, uh, CPP disability, things like that, we have people we can put you in touch with people who've been in that industry for decades who can help you.
0: Beautiful. Do so. Reach out. Same number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help it in your corner dot again. Global TV in your corner happens Sundays at eight thirty in the morning. Till next time. This has been in your corner on Global News Radio.